Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. And we are so excited you're here. My name is Jacob and I'm one of the pastors. And if this is your first time, we want to welcome you. In fact, can we welcome our, our church family that is watching and online? Can we put our hands together for them? We love you and miss you. Can't wait to see you. You know, we are uh, back into uh, a study of Romans. And I, I love the book of Romans because I think it just kind of, it punches us right in the gut. You know, I, I think many times uh, we love the, the passages and the stories that um, cater to our preference and cater to really what we want to, you know, talk about. But when we study a book, we've got to talk about everything. Somebody say everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I feel like I'm my, my father up here is preaching because he always says that. Um, uh, so, you know, we get to talk about this. And so I'm going to hit Romans chapter 6, verse 6. I'm going to read it for us and then we'll pray. This is what Paul writes. He, he says in verse 6, for we know, somebody say we, that our old self was crucified. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Our old nature, our old ways, our old self has been crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You know, this is, this is, a, this is definitely a, a, a tough thing to talk about. Because as believers, as Christians, for those in the room, for those watching and online, you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You have been justified by faith. And because of your sin, there is grace, right? There is grace, and there is always going to be grace. So if there is always grace to our sin, then what's the point of stopping our sin? Because where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And so I think it's safe for, to, for us to ask this question as we talk about sin. Do I have to uh, stop sinning? If I have been saved, if I have been redeemed, is it necessary for me to change my lifestyle? I think it's a safe question to ask. You know, what does a, a, a person who has been, who has died like Christ and then has been raised like Christ, what does that individual look like? You know, the truth is there is a way. There is a way that we should live. And my challenge today as we break this down, and here's the title of my message this morning, is to start living like it. Start living like it. So, Father, we pray one more time. God, we ask that your words would convict, your words would challenge, your words would move and, and touch the hearts of every individual in this room and every individual watching and online. In fact, every individual that may watch this message later, that, God, your word, which has the power to change, the power to restore, the power to redeem, the power to save, would it do so today? And, God, as always, our prayer is that when we walk out of these doors, that our hearts would be changed, our mindset would be changed, and we would be a different person with a different lifestyle. Would our, uh, everybody in this room be encouraged and be reminded of your love? And so we thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that everybody said one more time, amen, amen. As you're making your way to your seat, tell three people around you, you better start living like it. You know, um, the, the letter of Romans that Paul directs to the Christians in Rome isn't, 
is definitely one that's going to um, sprout or produce opposition. It was almost like every time Jesus spoke, there was, you know, those who cheered him on, but then there was those who questioned him because they, they didn't fully understand. There were those who opposed him. And so everything that Paul here is writing about how to be right, they have learned one way their whole lives of what right looks like. Now Paul is coming in saying, no, no, this is what right looks like. Uh, people start to question and people start to object. And um, the thing about Paul is that he knew, and maybe you know somebody like this, that before you even ask a question, they're giving you answers to questions that, they didn't even, that you didn't even ask. And you're like, how do you know exactly what I'm thinking? This is Paul. He's anticipating their thinking. And go with me to verse 1 of chapter 6. This is what he says. He says, what shall we say then? You know, shall we keep going on sinning so that grace may increase? Remember, in, in, in Romans 5, verse 20, this, Paul addressed this issue about where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So he's responding to, to that statement. He's actually asking a question that the people are probably going to ask here in just a moment. He says, so, so shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He, he's knowing what people are going to ask and question because the truth is, is, is if grace continues to come, then why should we stop sinning? Why should I change up everything about me, right? It's, it's God's job to forgive, and it's, it's our job to sin. That just, that just is a great equation, right? I sin, God forgives. I continue to sin, God continues to forgive, right? You know, my father-in-law runs a yacht refinishing company, a business, and he, he restores yachts, and he fixes, and he repairs it. On my days off, I get to work with him. When I say work, I usually watch what he does. He just needs somebody to hold a tool or hold a shelf. And so, you know, I get to be a part of what he's doing. But he often gets the call to repair a repair job. And we come in there, and we fix it. We fix a job that should have been fixed the first time. Now, who do you think is going to get that call next time around when that owner has an issue with their boat? Well, not the individual or the company that ruined it, but the person who fixed it. Because why would you keep bringing somebody in who keeps making mistakes, who keeps um, ruining things, to then have to bring somebody else in to then forgive it? It applies so much to us today. Why would we keep sinning? Why would we keep making mistakes? Even though we know that God is going to come in, he's going to fix us, he's going to repair us, he's going to change us, but I might as well keep sinning. You know, Paul is describing here this um, habitual sin. Habitual sin. Somebody say habitual sin. <laughs> habitual sin. It's as if I can remain in this lifestyle of sin, assuming that it's acceptable because grace abounds. I can just stay where I'm at. I could just do the things that I do. I can just keep saying the things that I'm saying. I could just keep living the way that God has, called, has, has wanted me to live, but I just can do my own thing. But church, listen, when God saves you, when God changes you, when God redeems you, there will be something different about you. And you know what? It may not be that drastic like others, and it may not be that immediate like others, but there will be change. Because when you are dead to sin, I want you to write this down. When you are dead to sin, you are now dead to the old. When you are dead to sin, you, you know, Scripture says you are now dead to the old way. You are now dead to the old things. You know, Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, if anybody is in Christ, the new creation has come. Come on, somebody say amen to that. The new creation has come. The old you is gone. 
The new you is here. Maybe you don't see it all right now on the surface, but your destiny has changed. Church, your love has changed. What you share has changed. Everything about you has changed. Do I have anybody who is thankful that the old you is gone? The old you is not here anymore. My old way of thinking, my old way of doing, my old way of speaking. Man, I just feel different. Although you may not notice right away, I can feel it. And I know it. And even if somebody doesn't, I can tell them, Scripture can tell them, That they know it, that where you're headed has changed. Who you are has changed. Everything about you has changed, even if we don't exactly see it right here in this moment. Because I am dead to sin. I am dead in my old ways. Now am I alive in Christ. So tell somebody next to you to start living like it. You know, Jesus said it in John 15 as he talks about the branch. He says, "If, if there is a branch that is bearing no fruit, he says he will cut you off. And so in order to bear fruit, you must remain. Somebody say remain. Remain in him. I would even question, I might be stepping on some toes here today, but I would even question whether or not you have actually ever remained. God says, I will, I will cut off the branch that does not bear fruit. He says, I will cut you off because you have not been connected. In fact, maybe you thought you were connected one day, but you have never actually been connected. So it's time today, let's not wait another day to connect for the very first time. Remain. So let's start living like it. He says, shall I keep on sinning? By no means. I love that in verse 2. By no means. Certainly not. In other words, perish those thoughts. I love that. Perish those thoughts. You know, a lot of our questions certainly stem from what's in here, what we're thinking. And maybe we could change our questions if we changed what we thought. Because I think sometimes too many of us, we're asking questions that we didn't even need to ask. All we had to do was stop for a moment to think about it, to process it, to drop to our knees and pray about it. And maybe we would have the answers to the questions that we don't even need to ask. Because there's something inside of you that God has placed in you to lead you, to direct you. Meanwhile, you're searching everywhere else. You're looking in every other book, and God is like, I've got all the answers within you. You just need to ask, and you need to look. But too many of us, we don't want to do all that because that's work. i I gotta, I got to read it. i got to think about it. i got to process it. I have to pray about it. Man, I can't do that. And too many people that I know haven't been reading, haven't been listening. They haven't been in tune with what's in them, therefore they have become foolish thinkers. Therefore they have become simple-minded. We have become shallow in our knowledge of the supernatural, and we have become shallow in our knowledge of the super practical. I mean, why you gotta ask some of these questions? But it's those who know. Come on, it's those who know God, who spend time with God, who listen to God, who find themselves pulling from a source that is within them, giving them answers to questions that are around them that all of a sudden they don't need to ask because they already know. Remember, Jeremiah 33 says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you don't know. All of a sudden, everything within me starts changing me. I act different, I speak different, I look different, I walk different, I smell different. Man, I love when Christians smell different. I love that because I know that there is the word of God within them. Everything about me changes. But all it says is call on the name of Jesus. Call on the name. There are some people in this room that need to hear this today. You have been searching in the wrong places. You're never going to find the answers to the questions that you're asking. You're never going to find them unless you turn to the one person, the one source that can give you everything you need, who will show you the unsearchable things, who will answer the unasked questions. He will give you the supernatural. He will help you understand the super practical. He has it figured out. He says, I can help you. 
I can be here for you. I can show you. You just need to trust. And you need to never stop. In fact, write this down. Don't ever stop calling on the name of the Lord. Don't ever stop calling on the name of the Lord. You don't know because you have not called. Remember, David said, as long as I live, I will never stop calling on the name of the Lord. As long as I have breath, as long as I'm walking, I will call on the name of the Lord. Instead of asking, shall I keep on sinning, I wonder if maybe the question they should have asked is, shall I keep calling? How often do I need to speak to God? How often should I be praying? How often should I be speaking to him? Paul goes on to say in verse 2, he says, we are, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You know, it's important for us to understand that we were once dead in sin, and now we are dead to sin. And Paul illustrates this great through baptism. Maybe you've been baptized before. Maybe you've been water baptized. This is what we're talking about, water baptism. And he illustrates this, and he goes on to say in verse 3, read with me. He says, don't you know, again, no, Paul is dealing with some of these fundamental concepts that people should know. It's like we got to preach the same things over and over to you. Many of you have just been wanting milk, and, and Paul's like, you got to start having some steak. Now it's time to abandon those you know, uh, a childish ways or childish ways of thinking. You should know these concepts by now. But, he says... Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. Amen. That we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in his death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. Again, for those who have been water baptized, this, make, this makes sense to you. If you haven't, Scripture says to believe and to be baptized. Water baptism is an outward expression of an inward experience. It's, it's immersion. It's full immersion. It's, 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 it's picturing the, ident- the, uh, the believer's identification with Christ's death, with his burial, and his resurrection. But know this, baptism isn't what brings you into Christ. That's the Spirit's doing when you believe and confess with your heart. That God raised his son from the dead. You know, that's what happens. But it's now the Spirit's doing to identify you with what just took place in your life. I don't understand what just happened. Well, Paul says, let me explain to you what just happened. You used to be dead in sin, and now you're dead to sin. And your old thinking, your old ways are no longer here. You know, if an alcoholic dies, physically dies, they will no longer be tempted to drink. If an adulterer dies, they will no longer be tempted to commit adultery. If a liar dies, they will no longer be tempted to lie. If a sinner dies, you and me, if we die, we were dead to sin. Now we die in sin. Guess what? We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, we don't do the things that we used to do. We don't walk in the ways that we used to walk. We all of a sudden have this desire to continue to serve God, to not continue to serve sin. And the best news is we're not only dead in sin or to sin, but we are also now alive in Christ. And this, this is the good news that Paul is saying to us. He's like, you have been, you have been, you know, thrown under as Jesus was, and you now have been raised and can identify with where Jesus was no longer. And so this is the good news. You're not just dead to sin, but you are now alive with Jesus. There is a newness. Come on, somebody say newness. There is a newness about you. There is something new about you. In fact, turn to the person next to you and tell them there is something new about you. I don't, I, can't, I don't know what it is. I can't explain it, but there is something new about you. There is a newness. You know, I just think about what Jesus did as he 
traveled all throughout the New Testament and we got to read the stories of, of, of how he's healing people. And to many, he's become the celebrity. To others, he's become a raving man, demon-possessed man. It's interesting how he's got now two followings, those who are for him and those who are against him. And guess what? Nothing has changed today. But it's interesting as, you know, I don't know if you've watched in the Chosen series, and, and I'll put a plug in for this show because I think it's the greatest show that's ever, the, ever, the greatest depiction of Jesus and his disciples. The Chosen, watch it. But it's so interesting how it shows you and reveals to you those who are for him, those who are against him. It reveals the miracles that he did, the miracles that he could have done that he, did, he didn't do. There's a story one time where, you know, his closest friends, Mary and Martha, come to Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, you, you got to heal our brother. He's sick. Lazarus, you got to heal him. You, you got to get over there now. And Jesus is like, I'm good. I'm going to stay where I'm at for a couple days. <laughs> if I'm his disciples... If, if I'm his, you know, if I'm his, in his, in his uh, group, I'm like, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing? Somebody has come to you and said, who you know that they are ill, about to die, and you're like, I'm just going to chill here for another two days. Can, you know, just stop that scene there for just a moment. We're, we're going to stop and come over to here. Can we just talk about the timing of God the ti and how interesting the timing of God is? You know, I've been praying for 10 years. God, why did it take 10 years for you to answer my prayer? God, why did it take 40 years for you to, to, to call me into my purpose? Why did it take that long? God, I've been praying. I have been fasting. I've been doing everything that I'm supposed to do. God, what, what, what are you doing? It's almost as if Jesus is up there and he's like looking at his watch, talking to his angel buddies. He's like, we'll give it another decade. We'll, we'll let her be single a little bit longer. This is just too fun to watch. You know, I'm just like, we'll let him make no money and have no salary yet. It's just, I'm just like, come on, God. What, how do you measure things? How do you measure time? You know, what, what, what's, what's, what's going on? Because clearly we have somebody who is sick, somebody who needs your help. But here's what I know. God's timing is not your timing. And God's pace isn't your pace. And that is a good thing, church. That is a good thing because some of us, we are way too slow. And we get nothing done. But by the grace of God, slow, quick, that doesn't mean anything to him. Reminds me of the man who asked God, God, how, how long is a million years? And God says, well, in my frame of reference, it's only a minute. The man's stunned. He says, God, how, how much is a million dollars? And God says, it's only a penny. The man says, God, can I have a penny? And God replies, in a minute. <laughs> you know, we can't fully grasp the timing of God. We can't fully grasp how he measures things. And clearly, you know, thousands of years ago, the, the disciples couldn't either. This man is sick. Why are we going to sit here for two more days? We have got to go. Man, I just, I'm just going to be honest with you. There are plenty of times where I open up scripture and I'm like, all right, God, come on. You got to move today. You got to move today. I got nothing in me. You got to move today, God. You got to do something today. I'm trusting in you. I'm looking to you and I'm just waiting for something to happen. Does that change how I view him? Certainly not. Maybe at times it does. Just I'm being honest. But if I'm a disciple here, I'm like, yo, God, come on. We, got, we have to get... We gotta get move, moving. Somebody grab the keys to the camel. Let's go over there because our friend is dying. And so Jesus is not persuaded by the people. He now decides, because remember, God's timing is not your timing. He's like, all right, let's go. Let's go. And uh, they get over there and they not only find out that Lazarus has died, but that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Four days. He waited two days. By the time we heard the news and by the time we waited, he, he was already dead. You could have saved him. I just pictured Jesus saying, I could have saved him. I could have healed him from a sickness, but I want to raise him from the dead. 
I want to I I show you what you can't even think of. You just want me to heal him, touch him. This man has been dead for four days, and I'm about to raise him from the dead. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And just like that, Lazarus rises out of the grave. Remember, he died as if Christ died, and he is now resurrected as Christ was resurrected. He's got his old clothes on, and, and, and I want you to write this down. Jesus tells him, Lazarus, I need you to take the grave clothes off. Take off the grave clothes. Come on, take off the old way of living. Take off the old way of thinking. Take it off. I need you to remove it. I need you to get it out of here. You don't need that anymore, Lazarus. You don't need that, that fit. You don't need those clothes. You don't need that shirt. You don't need any of that anymore. I got you. I am making you a new person. So take off the grave clothes. We were dead. We are now raised. We are set free to walk in the newness of life. But some of us need to shed off some skin. We got to remove some clothes we got to remove some baggage. In fact, I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, throw off, somebody say throw off, your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Interesting, two of the sins that the serpent in the Garden of Eden, you know, presented to Eve and Adam. This looks really good. And it'll give you what you don't have. Lust and deception. So we got to shed ourselves off of those things. We got to remove some grave clothes. Tell somebody next to you, remove the grave clothes. Remove, not your clothes, remove the grave clothes. We're talking, we're talking, you know, figuratively, not literally, all right? He says, I need you to remove that because it's corrupted by lust. It's corrupted by deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on a new nature. Come on, somebody say new nature. Put on a new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You know, I hope every believer in this room, every Christian watching and online knows that you not only have the power of the cross, but you have the power of the resurrection. And guess what? You can't just believe that, but you have to understand that you actually share in it. There is a new relationship that you have with sin. There is a new relationship that you have with sin. Come on, somebody. There is a new relationship you have with sin. Now, why aren't you living like that? Why are you still married to it? Why are you still ruled by it? Why are you still bringing it in late at night when nobody can see it? Why do you still do it when nobody's around? Because nobody's going to catch. There is a new relationship that we have with sin. So we have to start living like it. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. And I'm certainly not going to crawl back into it. Lazarus didn't crawl back into those clothes after Jesus raised him from the dead. He wasn't like, yo, this is amazing. But yo, that was way better. So I'm, peace out, Jesus. I'm going to get back in these clothes and I'm going to lay in that tombstone. That's not what he did. There is a new way of living. And the old is gone. And man, I just think so many people have forgotten about that we're not mastered by that anymore, that we're not enslaved to that anymore. You know, I hope as Christians we understand that there is a newness about us. There is a better way. Paul says there is a right way. And you know what's interesting? That you actually start to have a distaste for sin. Anybody been there? Or am I the only one? All of a sudden, I start... I start, you know, maybe I find myself tasting things or getting in things that I know I shouldn't. I start having a distaste for it. Because remember the scripture, you know, where it says, uh, uh, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. When I start tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, all of a sudden, I don't want to taste anything else. And then when I do, I have this distaste for it. 
I don't have an appetite for that anymore. I don't want it anymore. I would question those who don't have a distaste for sin, who still think, well, maybe, you know, it tastes good, feels good. And, And I know it does, but within me, I know that it doesn't. And I know that that's only temporary. And so now that I have tasted the goodness of God, now that I have tasted that the Lord is good, I all of a sudden start to have this distaste for sin. My taste buds changed when I got saved. Come on, how many can attest to that? Your taste buds have changed by the grace of God. I don't want to smoke it anymore. I don't want to drink it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to be with them anymore. All of a sudden, I just have an appetite to please God and uh, not sin. So, so how, do we, how do we die to self? How do we let the old self die? Look at verse 6 with me. This is the passage that I read early on in the message. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anybody who has died has been set free from sin. Notice Paul doesn't say that you won't be enslaved to sin, but that you should no longer be slaves to sin. I I wish it was that easy. You become saved, you don't sin anymore, God is good, everything is great. Sign me up for that. I want that relationship. That's not the case. When you come into a relationship with God, yes, your master does change, but the problem is sin is still there. Still trying to entrap you, still trying to get you, still trying to rule you, still trying to entice you. It's still there. It's a battle that you're going to have to face for the rest of your life. Yes, our master has changed. Yes, there has been a change of relationship. But the problem is I'm still here and the enemy wants me. Come on, the enemy wants you if you're still breathing. If you still have breath, the enemy wants to go after you, kill you, destroy you, take you down. I don't care. It doesn't care how long you've been married. It doesn't care how long you've been faithful. It doesn't care how long you have a track record of not sinning. Enemy is going to come after you. It reminds me when I tell myself, you know what? Today is a new day. I'm no longer going to eat fast food. I'm going to make that commitment today. Anybody done that before? You know, I'm like, just, just, I just don't, you know, I just... Problem is, everywhere I go, everywhere I drive, there is a fast food place. And my stomach wants it. My watch says it's quick. And my wallet says it's all I can afford. (laughs) And sin is the same way. It tells you that it's going to feel good. The people around you tell you that you need, you know, you need to do it. And your wallet tells you that it's the only thing you got to have. And you could push money around and you'll figure it out. Your spouse will figure it out for you. That's the same thing. Sin comes in. It wants all of you. It wants everything about you. It wants to run you and it wants to eventually ruin you. And too many people find themselves, man, I, I, was, I was a part of this and now I'm so distant from it. What happened? Man, sin. Where did I go wrong? Sin. We, we have to let it die, but how? Somebody say how. How, how do we do this? You know, I have two, two amazing, beautiful little boys. I say beautiful now because they're kids. But when they're older, I'm not going to tell them they're beautiful. And, uh, and they, they're just, they're amazing. Judah is my oldest, and he's three and a half. Almost, yeah, he's three and a half. And my youngest is 13 months, right? And uh, you know what's crazy? And many of you parents, you know this. 
You, you're like your kid grows when you feed them. It's, it's just, it's, it's like obviously, but when you have one and they start to grow, you're like, this is so crazy. How do bones grow? How does their skin grow? And you know, my youngest is growing a lot faster than my, my oldest. You know, he's just, he's getting bigger and bigger. I would say now he looks normal. His head is still a little bit bigger, you know? Like in the, the nursery, kids are like rolling balls around. My son's head is rolling around. You know, it's just, he just can't even walk. Uh, but he's, he's now walking finally because his body is, you know, the same size as his head. I know, it's so, it's so hard to make fun of our kids. They are so cute. But it is, it is fun because they don't know yet. They don't know. <laughs> uh, but when you feed them, they grow. We got any people that like to plant. You know, when you plant things, oh, sweet, nobody in here. Cool. That's what I thought. You know, I'm just not much of a planter. But when you plant things, they grow. When you water things, they grow. I remember getting a Christmas tree for the very first time, a real Christmas tree. You know, when that, I had to go out with my axe and, and swipe the credit card and, uh, you know, purchase it. Uh, I, I, I got one for the very first time. I didn't know I had to water it. I didn't know that. I mean, I watered it because, you know, it didn't burn down. But I didn't know. I had no idea. But when you water things, things begin to grow. You know, the same is with sin. It applies to sin. You know, what are you doing to allow it to grow? What are you doing to allow it to stick around? It's like that friend that you don't want to be around, but yet they're always around you and they ruin your day. I'm like, why are you around them? Kick them out. I can't offend them. Kick them out. Your soul is more important. Your soul is more important than sticking around with somebody, sticking in a relationship with somebody that's ultimately trying to ruin you. How can you be equally yoked if you're unequally yoked. So I think just sometimes, I'm just speaking off the cuff right here, sometimes we got to delete some numbers, remove some people from our lives, you know, sell our house and get out of the neighborhood. Uh, just because that just, maybe that's what needs to happen. But the same thing applies to sin because I, I think of, of so many people who are like, man, sin just ruined me. 20 years later, I'm, you know, I'm here. But if we went back, you know, what were you doing? You know, because as children grow when you feed, as plants grow when you feed. Maybe you remember the story of the man that said, hey, being a Christian is like having a good dog and a bad dog fighting within you. And if you ask, well, which one is winning? The one that you feed the most. And so sin here, remember Romans 12, 9, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what is evil. Come on, say it with me. Cling to what is good. Well, what are you feeding? Are you feeding the evil that you're supposed to hate or are you feeding the good that you're supposed to cling to? Because, write this down, what you feed the most will grow the most. And no wonder why your sin is taken over your life. No wonder why your sin has ruined your life. No wonder why that relationship has been so toxic and has ruined all your perspectives of further relationships. Because it's ruined you. Because it ran you. Because you've allowed it to grow because you fed it. You know, what we feed the most will grow the most. What grows will eventually show. You cannot contain it for so long. You cannot hide it for so long. It will eventually be brought to light. You can say you don't want it, but you're still in it. And you're still doing it because you've been keeping it around. It is time, church, to kill it before it kills you. Come on, it is time to kill it before it kills you. You think, I can just hold off a little bit longer. She ain't going to find out. He ain't going to find out. It will eventually kill you. And there's going to be a lot of collateral damage around you. But you can end it today. Come on, somebody. You can end it today, right now, in this moment, understanding that you were once dead in sin, but now I am dead to sin, and I am alive in Jesus Christ. He has redeemed me, 
I'm not mastered by that anymore. I'm not going to be a victim on that anymore. So let's stop talking about it. Let's stop meditating in it. Let's stop letting it in your house, letting it in your kids, letting it all around you. Get it out. Kick it out. Do whatever you got to do before you become its victim. You know, Colossians 3, I'll close with this passage. Colossians 3, verse 5. Paul says, put to death. Come on, somebody say, put to death. Put to death. Can I hide it over here in that room? No. Can I just put it in the closet in that box? No. Put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, that's big. Impurity, that's big. Lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Remember, we talked about Ten Commandments. What's that first commandment? Shall have no other gods before me. Second one, no idols. These are modern-day idols. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. Because of these, listen, this, is, this should scare you and get you wanting to dive right into the word of God. It says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to, somebody say, I used to. I used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Listen, I'm here to tell somebody today and maybe somebody watching on online that this is not an option. This is not optional. This isn't like, here's a multiple choice question. You know, abandon your sin or still hang in your sin. Either way, you're forgiven and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. This is not an option. This is not. Yes, we will still sin. Paul is addressing the habitual, you know, liar, the habitual adulterer, the the, the person who's remained in that lifestyle. I got saved 20 years ago. You ain't bearing no fruit. There's nothing about you that looks different. There's nothing about you that smells different. I was I was saved. Were you? Were you? Did you really remain? Did you? I'm not here to judge or question. I, I, I just I'm just wondering. I'm wondering if that's really true in your life. Because how can you say that you are united with Christ and have not done anything to rid yourselves of sin? Have not done anything to rid yourselves of the sin that is so uh, trying to entangle you and grab you and ruin you? There's no compelling argument there. There's no evidence. How can you say you're united with Christ? I know this may be stepping on some toes, but I, th- I just want you to w- want to know and listen and understand because this is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of us spending eternity in in heaven with Jesus or spending eternity in hell with Satan. This is real. This isn't fantasy. This is not a movie. Are Are you assured of what you believe in? Do you have assurance? Do you have that blessed assurance that Jesus is God and that you have fully stepped into a relationship with him? And there has been evidence of change fruit that's there? Have you been united with Christ? Are you walking in the spirit? Are you doing the things that God has called you to do? Is it, is it evident that you are walking in grace and have been justified by faith? I, w- I want to share just two things. And the first is, is definitely more practical because I want to assume there are some individuals here watching and online that um, you just have forgotten this first step, step one. And that's this, it's four things. You want to kill your sin? You want to die to your sin? You want to get rid of your sin? You want to walk in the newness of life? Remember, this isn't a one-time thing. So I just want to preface this by saying this isn't a one-time thing. Do it today, and you'll no longer have to do it. 
So four things, acknowledge it. That's step one, if anything. I don't got it. I don't deal with that. That's not true. Acknowledge it. Once you understand that you actually have it, you got to deal with it, now you can at least start fixing it. Acknowledge it. Two, confess it. Confess it. You know, confess your sins to the Lord and he is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins. You know, I heard it said one time, um, you know, I can determine your nearness and your closeness to God by how long it takes you to repent of your sin. How long does it take? Does it take you a, does it take you a day to say, God, I, I, made a, I made a mistake. Does it take you a year? Has it taken you 15 years? And you just, you just don't want to. Does it take you a second? I mean, as soon as I... As soon as I put my lips on that, I knew that there was a distaste within me. God, forgive me. Confess your sins. Three, be kept accountable to it. That's important. You gotta have some brothers and sisters in your life that'll encourage you, but you also need some older men and women in your life that aren't afraid to call you out. Do you have anybody in your life that you have given permission to to call you out except your spouse? And I know you don't like that either, but I'm talking about somebody who ain't afraid to call you out to question your every motive, every action. Be kept accountable to it. And lastly, trust that God is dealing with it. Trust that he's dealing with it. So what does a person who has died with Christ and been raised with Christ look like? It's somebody who knows who they are for and who knows who they are against. It's somebody who knows who to call on and knows who not to call on. It's somebody who knows who to feed and what to feed and what not to feed. It's somebody that knows that says, you know, I have this confidence within me that I have been raised just like Lazarus was raised, just like Jesus was raised. I share in that power. I have confidence that I can start walking in that power. So live in it. Start living like it, church. You know, I, I, uh, I'll close with this and I had a few other things to say, but I, I might forget what I have to say. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna speak for the heart for just a moment, if that's okay. As your pastor, one of your pastors, I wanna just tell you, you know, how I'm processing this, how I'm being encouraged to process this. Because I stand up to you here today and I'm like, I'm a sinner. And I love what my dad says. If you, maybe this is your first time, our senior pastor, who's not here today, he's with family. Uh, you know, I, I wonder, I, I love what he always said this. It was crazy. Because I'd be sitting in the audience and he would say, you know, as a pastor, maybe you've heard this before. If, uh, if I knew all your sin, church, I wouldn't let you through those doors. And then he would say, if you knew all my sin, you wouldn't let me on this pulpit. You wouldn't let me up on this stage. And so I stand here today before you as a sinner, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. My master has changed. My old ways are not the same. I'm doing, I'm doing better. I'm working on it. And I fight it every single day. I will fight it every single day. But I'm, I'm reminded of the scripture. I think it's, uh, I think it's Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all. Somebody say all. And all these things will be added unto you. All these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. You know, I, I want you to understand that, that and this, this isn't to forget about anything I just said, all right? We got to fight. We got to work. We got to do it. We got to do it. But life isn't all about doing. Life is not all about doing. And I think we might get caught up doing so much to fight sin that we have neglected the one presence that we're supposed to be in, and that is Jesus. And so as I start to fall in love with God, to start pleasing God, avoiding sin just naturally happens. 
Certainly, I got to put up boundaries. I got to put up accountability. I've got to make sure I have some people around me. I've got to put up barriers, which I do. But it's when I find myself trying to please God, not fighting to avoid sin, but fighting to please God. I fight for it. I fight for that time. I fight for that quiet time. I fight for my prayer life. I fight for it. When I do, I start naturally avoiding sin. It's crazy. I don't have to do anything. Because I want you to know, church, I want you to know, we do not fight sin with a sword in our hand. We do not fight sin on the offense. We fight sin surrendered with our arms lifted high, saying, God, I can't do this. I have no weapon that's going to fight this. I have no armor that's going to protect me from this. God, I don't have anything. The same act that you do to surrender in battle is the same response we do when we are fighting. It's surrendered. It's hands lifted high. And I wonder if the people, the Christian, Christians in Rome knew this. Would their question change? Shall we keep on sinning? No, it would change from a question to a statement. Shall I keep surrendering? Yes. I will keep surrendering. I will never stop surrendering. I will never stop doing it. I'm going to do it for the rest of my life, knowing that when I surrender, I ultimately say, God, I can't even do this on my own, and I need you to do this. So would you come into my life? And every single day, would you give me a fresh outpouring of your spirit? And so two things, two things that I want you to walk away with here today. Yeah, you need to fight it. Yeah, there's a bunch of things. I gave you four practical things, but two things. And I want you to stand to your feet. Two things that I want you to pray. Two things I want you to ask. Two things that I never want you to stop declaring. Statements, not questions. Statements. One. God, open up my eyes to see you. Open up my eyes to see you, God. And two, God, would your spirit continue to fill me? And that's it. Open up my eyes to see you. And God, would you fill me of more of you? Open up my eyes. And as you do so, as you do so, you start finding yourself winning at your faith, winning in the battle of sin, winning in your fight to be more with Jesus. You start winning. Because all of a sudden, I've just said, God, open my eyes to see you. Now I see more of you. And now I don't want to see anything else. And God, fill me with your presence. So now that I'm filled, I have this distaste for everything else. And I just want to pursue you with all of my life. So God, would you open up my eyes to see you. And God, would you fill me with more of you. In Jesus' name. So Father, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for every person watching in online. God, that you would open up our eyes to see more of who you are that you would allow us to put put aside our selfish ways, our selfish motives, the things that we want, the things that entangle us. And God, would we pursue you? In fact, God, we also ask that you would give us more of you. Give us more of you, Jesus. More of you, Jesus. Come on, even now, church, begin to ask him, God, give me more of you. Come on, ask him, give me more of you. Ask him right now where you're at, God, give me more of you. I have been lacking, I have been neglecting that time, and so God, give me more of you. Give me the courage to never stop asking. Give me the courage to never stop fighting. Help me find the time in my life to read. Help me find the time in my life to pray, because this is a matter of life and death. I wanna be not just dead in sin, I wanna be dead to sin so I can be alive with Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. I wanna be alive with Jesus Christ. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I wonder if there's anybody in this room that you have never made that decision. You know, scripture says there is a knock at your heart. Jesus is saying, let me in. I have prepared the table, everything is set. Just open the door and let me in. And the truth is when we allow Jesus to come in our lives, he changes everything about you. 
He changes everything about you. Your destiny has changed. Your destiny has changed. Some of you never thought you'd be here right now in this moment. You thought you'd be dead. You thought you were done years ago. You thought your marriage was over years ago. You thought you'd never have a relationship with your kid years ago. But here you are today, worshiping with them, talking to them. You're talking to them every month. You see them every single day, whatever that case may be. You have been redeemed and God has given you grace abundantly, more so than you've ever experienced before. And if that's you today and you're saying, I want that grace, I want that grace. I have made plenty of mistakes. I want the goodness of God, which I know is chasing after me, running after me. I want it. And so would you pray this prayer? If that's you, you're saying, Jacob, I've never accepted Jesus into my life. Would you pray this prayer? In fact, church, would you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Heavenly Father, come into my life. Change me. Make me a new creation. I'm yours today. You are my God. You are my Father. And I am your child. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Can we put our hands together for those who maybe made that decision? Church, I want to leave this room for the next few moments. If you need prayer, come to the front. If you need to come forth and just get some things off of you, just confess some things, come to the front. Nobody's going to hear, nobody's going to listen, although you can shout out if you want. You want to pray, you want to, as an act of surrender, just lift your hands and worship, do so. Because the goodness of God is so good. It is so good, church, amen. God is so faithful. He is so faithful. So we thank you, Father, and we love you. Come on, let's worship him. Hallelujah. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.